Welcome to The Lumber Word, where industry veterans Matt Beamer, Greg Riley, and Ashley Buckold dissect the world of commodity lumber each week. We bring you up-to-date insights on supply, demand, and market trends, sharing our trading expertise to benefit everyone in the supply chain. Join us for informative and entertaining discussions that guarantee to make you wiser about all things lumber. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to The Lumber Word. For the date we are recording, this is the 31st, January 31st, 2024. We had some great feedback on our guests and our shows from the last few weeks, so we're going to keep it rolling. Matt Beamer from Hampton Lumber Sales is here. Greg Riley, Shika USA. We will introduce our guests in a few minutes. Wanted to go through a little bit of the market update since last week. It seems like we've had a little pullback on some items. Some items seem strong. I know, Greg, you and I were talking this morning, seemed the eastern spruce market. If somebody's got worms in their wood, it's selling a little bit cheaper than somebody that doesn't have worms in their wood. So we're, we're kind of getting a two-tier market on certain items, like 2 by 4 16s, MSR, certain studs out of the different, uh, one of the guys told me this morning, out of the, like the Abitibi type of region. Does that make sense? Greg, Matt, have you heard that at all? No, we, we've certainly heard we've got some feedback from people in the marketplace that you know are asking hey do you have an issue with wormholes you know I, I you know I followed up with our mills at LeMay and St. Michelle and neither of them are are, are are processing any of the the burn kill timber so they're saying that they don't have an issue but there is an ongoing um, you know issue with some with some folks that are not uh, happy getting wormholes in their lumber. It's all, although it's all on grade, there's nothing yes. wrong with it. It just doesn't look nice. Yeah, this is where it's a product of Mother Nature. And when there's catastrophic events, we need to clear the timber. And this is part of the uh, the situation. But again, all of it's on grade from what we could see. So Eastern Spruce, we'll talk a little about it in our Merry Date Breakup segment. It seems that Nines had a little bit of a bite last week. They're still trading. They haven't caught their wind yet. Studs are still trading. Western Spruce looks like it printed around 546 Chicago or 438 mil, which uh, with the CME, if I'm talking here, is it still around the 560 mark, Greg? Last is 560, yes. So mm -hmm. still a premium to cash. So any thoughts there on the future side, Matt or Greg, where we're at, where we're adjusting to right now? Anything to read into this? It's kind of in the middle. So if you look at 590 as a high and 520, 530 kind of as the as the gap, the low point, we're just we're just smack dab in the middle. If you look at the stats of it too, like the the RSI, their stochastics, any of that stuff, that's also right in the middle. So I guess 560 is sort of your your benchmark midpoint right now the market gap lower today there's a gap below a gap above i mean you know it can move 10 to 20 dollars either way and mean and mean nothing at all matt while i while you were uh while you were chatting there what is your sense of the market ben what's your feedback since we did the show last last wednesday i'm not as busy as i have been yesterday i was really busy today i'm not very busy at all monday i wasn't all that busy by my standards, I would say that I'm slower on average this week than I was last week, and last week was slower than the previous two weeks. Overall, it's not a bad month. I looked at my stats for January, and it's up from last year in terms of volume and margin. Yeah. I guess I can't complain really in the big picture, and that just goes along with my overall general theory that 
that I'm I'm a I'm a bull. I'm I'm not a bear in the long run here over the first uh, several months of the year. But I'm not a raging bull either. Like I I mean I have tempered op- optimism here. I feel I feel like we have a cap on the top and a cap on the bottom, and there and that's how I'm trading. I'll tell you how the market feels to me, and it's from an experience I had today about an hour ago. Greg will laugh about this. Probably, you know, had a guy calling wanting to buy some euro from us on the port in Houston, and since I had not sold anything in a couple of days, I wanted to just basically sell something. And Greg's like, you know. Hold your number here. This is <laughs> the market feels better than it is. And I was a little upset. Left guy calls me back in my truck and buys it all. Let's, from let's, let's, get, let's get straight, Dad. Ash, you were like a little bitch. Come on. <laughs> I mean, you were a little bitchy. And, you know, like I went, you know what? Hey, man up, man. This I need an order. That's, that's, well, you know, we all, we all see these movies different in our head. So I would say that that is probably how I was. But, but, but the point being is the market. I've been letting the market every day kind of dictate where my head is. The market overall, when I look at every week we've finished up here, it feels a little bit better to me. Um, Matt, it's are- interesting with what you said. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I, it, and it may be the, just the yin and yang of things, but I, I was looking down as Ash and I, we, we've sold more lumber already this week than we sold either of the last two weeks, and it's only midday, it's only midday Wednesday. And it didn't feel right? like it. It didn't feel like it. I was like really it. busy two weeks ago when you guys were sitting there, you know, doing nothing. So it it is the yin and yang of things. It, yeah. you know, you're, you're having your turn in the box, and yep. and I'm and I'm sitting back waiting for for my turn next, right? So one of the markets that everybody keeps asking us about that we're involved, we have a great guest here today, Thomas Bende, president and CEO of Binder Holtz Timber. But the great thing, Thomas is not only heavily involved. And I'll let him explain about the mills in Europe that they have on the European lumber side. But he also has uh, a strong familiarity with not only building Southern Pine mills, but now basically managing them and, and having the sales for them. So, and also Thomas is a good friend. He goes, we've known each other since, gosh, my block lumber days. And Way back. Uh, I was going to say my Coke days, but that sounds like a bad drug um, <laughs> comment. Uh, but I will say this, not only is Thomas very well known in the industry, every single place I've been to, he supported me at. So it's great to have him on the show. Thomas, thanks for coming on. If you could tell us a little bit about Binderholtz, what you do, and uh, and then we'll jump in to ask you some questions. Yeah, you're welcome, Ashley. Um, thanks for having me on this show and let me share my opinions about this market and uh, and what's going on in general. Um, Binderholz is a family-owned company out of Austria. It's now questionable, you know, we think we're number five in the world in terms of lumber output, but that's because of mills in Austria, Germany, Finland, Latvia, UK, and two pine mills here in the US. A lot of what we do is, of course, selling lumber, but the company is also heavily involved and a market leader in glue lamp beams. We run the largest glue lamp beam factory in the world, uh, located in Austria. We have two large CLT, cross-laminated timber factories, uh, one in Austria, one in Germany. And we make a product that we're introducing this year 
in the US called, we call it now decorative micro CLT. It's a solid wood panel that's uh, basically has the same setup as a CLT, it's just thinner and it's designed for the interior application, furniture, for millwork, paneling, whatever you might, flooring, whatever you might want to use it for. So in the Binderholz Timber site, which is the company here in Atlanta, we import lumber from the European sawmills. We've done that since about 2019, the end of 2019, we got started with that officially through this office. Then we also, as you mentioned, have the pleasure of selling Southern Yellow Pine from the two pine sawmills. And if you're not in the Southern Pine business, it's probably the most volatile lumber business there is. So it's a real, real fun and joy every day to be in that business. Yeah, great, great feedback, Thomas. So I, how is selling European lumber different from pine? What are the big glaring differences between yeah, of course yeah it's, it's it's actually quite uh quite simple i think and i think that's true for spruce in general you know if if you're a spruce buyer you kind of work with lead times that have to do with transportation with rail car lead times and in this case it's an import lead time you know and of course then a production lead time but i think the big challenge of course is from uh, compared to the rail car sales of a, of a Western Canadian or Western US producer, uh, you know, we have the challenge that our boats usually carry a significant large amount of lumber at one shot that arrives and it's there and this makes a big plop and there it is. <laughs> so that's, that's of course a very unique, unique sort of, uh, sort of challenge. It doesn't trickle in like a rail car or truck would, but it just plops and there it is. So that, that leads a little bit to to market volatilities and but on the pine side it's it's just worse you know you can you can be 50 over in the morning and 150 under in the afternoon uh, and I, I always say that's you know at least my explanation for that is pine you can order today and get tomorrow if it's in stock you know it's a it's a very very quick moving item and then because so much of it ends up in the in the treated business, you know, you always have these large purchasing cycles of the treating plants to build up the inventory during certain times of the year. So they affect that business, uh, you know, just just as dramatically as anything else. You know, if, in the old days, I don't know what the number is today, but in the old days, it was 50% of all, all production. So that would be 60, 70% of number two and better production that would go into, into the treating cylinder eventually. With that, uh, much volume going into one one particular market segment. There's just tremendous volatility built in. Yeah, we were talking on last week's show about pine. Was it last week, Greg and Matt, about whether treaters had even stepped in and bought yet? And as of a week ago, they really hadn't even stepped in and bought for the spring. Is that is that still true right now, or are they started to step in, Thomas, and buy? Do you, do you contract you know, for much of your production, Thomas? Yeah, pine? so this year this year was our first year that we actually entered into contracts with the pine production. And really just on the for the matter that we now have quite consistent production in those two mills. Mm -hmm. um, of course, then we had, in the, at least in the south, we had heavy rains. So that kind of hurt log supply tremendously. And, then, and that's still to be seen in terms of where the market really is in terms of treated half treated spot. Uh, I would imagine that based on the last few weeks of the 
uh, of this year. I mean, this is the first beautiful blue day, you know, since uh, since the beginning of January. So, um, you know, the market was certainly weak. I think the sales in the home centers were quite weak on treated lumber. So I don't think there was a big need for the mm-hmm. uh, treaters to step in. But I think that will change in the next couple of weeks, you know, so there'll be a, there'll be a significant difference there. Thomas, one of the things that we're always kind of putting our finger in the air is volumes of European lumber coming to the U.S. We get reports back from Europe that domestic markets are better and that their producers are looking at those returns. Log prices are up. I guess I'd say from your vantage point, which is substantial, what do you see over the next, you know, 60, 90, 120 days in terms of the volume of European lumber coming to ports, both globally and from a vendor holds perspective? Yeah, I can, I can, uh, of course, only speak really of the vendor holds perspective, but I can make some assumption about other producers. I would say in general, you know, the market has tremendously shifted, you know, Europeans, uh, when you look at the European arrivals, it was trekking for a record year in 2023, and then it suddenly collapsed, and it was not a record year for European lumbered imports, and it significantly throttled back. From our perspective, we went down at least 50% on our volume. What happened last year, you know, everybody in Europe at the end of 2022, it was miserable to be in Europe, to be a European lumber producer. And the U.S. was the only sort of place in the world that looked like it was going to move lumber in 2023 and everybody basically overshipped. And despite all these huge inventories on the ground, the market actually still moved up. So I think that was a quite a surprise for everybody, but of course it necessarily didn't absorb all the volume, but the inventories are much, much lower. And then towards the end of the year, the inventory coming in, the new inventory coming in was significantly reduced. So today we're looking at, you know, inventory levels that are so much lower than what they used to be or what they were last year. And at least we're all hoping for higher demand in the US. So that should actually bode quite well for the, for the spring market. Thomas, I'm curious, uh, do you make that decision or does the home office make that decision as to how much lumber to send for Binderholz over to the United States? And how how far ahead do you have to make that decision? Yeah, so, you know, the thing is, now is the end of January, but we already know what will come through April, you know? So we already know what's happening February, March, and April. And at least from our perspective, open market would will be you know open market wood not overall volume but what we call open market for sale it's uh, it's down to 10 percent of what it used to be we what we did is we went into more programs and we picked up some more program volume and that is the difference between what i said earlier and the 10 percent open market so that's our strategy i think other mills might be different but greg you you, you hit the nail on the head i mean the issue is there's higher prices for logs in Europe, probably at this point starting to reach record high levels. Uh, we have higher production costs now, A, because of negotiated tariff rates for all workers. You know, that's kind of like the European way of, of raising based on inflation. And you have also uh, the fact that you produce less because you cut back shifts. 
you know, all over Europe, at least uh, there's a shift and a half or two shifts down. So there's less production, which increases your cost. There's higher cost from the workers and there's higher law costs. So the break even level uh, or to make this US business attractive, you know, has completely changed, you know, within a fairly short period of time. We're thinking that that number is, it's, it's north of $600 FOB Absolutely. US port. You're exactly right, Craig. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would think I would think so too. So and and now you have the following, you know, because of the low production, even though the let's say the German business is quite quite slow, you know, there's other markets that are moving quite well. I mean, prices in the Middle East, prices in India, prices in North Africa have significantly accelerated. Pallet, P A L L E T prices, so sideboard prices are higher now than uh, surface dimension lumber in the US. So all that would indicate to me that for the industry, more lumber will stay in Europe and then not come to the US. So if I heard you right, you're, you last year, you were probably the, the largest or one of the largest uh, European importers of lumber, and you were predominantly all open market with that. Your volumes are down significantly, and with contract wood, now you're saying you have 10% of the volume that you had is now on the open market. Is that That's correct? correct? Yeah. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what's the theory to selling the open market wood, Thomas, or how does Binder Holt sell the open market wood? Do you have a series of salespeople you put, I mean, you're, are you doing it off of a list? What's your go-to-market strategy on that 10% of the open market? Yeah, so of course, we the, the big clue is we want to sell as high as possible. So um, sure. we have uh, now we're a team of uh, seven sales guys here in the office that sell Euro Spruce. And uh, of course, we try to figure out a way of how to capture the highest number. But the main the main strategy at this point is product mix. So, you know, one big part of last year's uh, less than stellar performance was the product mix that was brought in. So now it's much, much tighter. It's much more, uh, let's say, reflective of the actual market demand. And and that will uh, that will help tremendously. So what you're saying is that you've tightened up what you're, you're not bringing up smorgasbord, you're bringing more of a targeted. That's right. Okay. Now, do you, um, you know, I know you, you, you're a large glue lamb producer and CLT. Are those products coming to the U.S. market now? Yeah, so CLT, you know, CLT, we're very active in the U.S. market. These are mostly the large building projects uh, right now. If you live near Baltimore, the Under Armour headquarters being constructed. Uh, all, all out of timber, I think there's only two big pieces of steel in the entire building. Uh, it's a fantastic really project cool. to go by. Uh, it's definitely something to see. And, uh, you know, there's a number of these projects uh, that we, we are actively engaging. In those projects, we sell the glue lamb. In those projects, we sell these uh, micro CLT panels. Uh, that's that's quite normal. The glue lamb side itself is getting certified right now as we speak. We should have uh, NC190, I think, is the specification uh, certification by the middle of the year. And then he will be able to hopefully attack the, the U.S. market on the glue limb side as well. Now, does that product come on a, 
on a project by project basis. So you, you so it's basically you're you're gonna sell yeah. a project. It's gonna start. It's gonna ship in six, nine, twelve months, and you and you and you take the order. It's a it's on a per order basis, custom order basis. It can be both. So I mean, it's a question of uh, what customers really want. So we can of course provide stock Lulam for the distribution channels or for large end users, but uh, we also have the perfect, beautiful facility. <laughs> Uh, fully automated robotics that can make stock lists basically on one item of this, two items of that, three items of that. They all come out at the end of the facility and put together little projects. We have a we have a large listener base of multifamily uh, users. Now, the, you know, in order to, to to get that product, you know, should they just call Sitka USA, or is there is are there are there a number of distributors that they could go through, or do you sell direct? So at this point, uh, we we don't have a channel lined up of how we sell that. So um, obviously, first comes first serve. So you know, first early bird gets the worm. So feel free to to contact myself or. Uh, we will be selling some through distributor. I'm saying it's kind of like the lumber business, you know, in a way you have to kind of use use all channels to get to I didn't customers. mean to cut Matt out. Of course they can call Hampton Lumber Sales for also. Absolutely. Yeah. No offense taken, buddy. Hey, so I just listened to what everybody what everybody's saying here and we we you know, we saw that West Fraser curtailment about a week ago or two weeks ago now. And we just see we see less Western spruce coming over. You know, I touched on the fact that MSR in the East is now a lot less expensive than MSR in the West. And there's a lot less premium lumber coming out of the West with curtailments or actual closures. Thomas, when I hear you say less European lumber coming over, people that are looking for a high quality stick of lumber, it seems to me that that price is that premium is going to get wider. Is it? And I'm not just sitting here trying to pump prices up. I'm just looking at the economics of no. everything, right? Thomas, but, Thomas is never going to feel bad if you pump prices. Ashley, well, he loves that. Well, I'm yeah, just I'm looking yeah. at the economics no, of the but, production here. No, it's just just you know, as as my boss likes to say, one plus one is two. You know, I mean, it's just you have to. Just math. It, it may not be two right now, yeah, but it'll be it'll be two eventually. And that's the, I think that's the big question. And, and look, when you talk about wormwood, what are you talking about? You're talking about somebody that's not out of the goodness of their heart is cutting uh, lower grade logs. It's somebody that whose margins are below profitability and they're looking to find a way to make money. And the way to make money is to buy insect beetle damaged firewood, you know, that's cheaper so you can make a margin. So. We have to really look at what are break-even levels, not just for Europeans, but what are break-even levels for Eastern Canadians, Western Canadians, Western lumber mills, you know, where where is everybody? And we all got to realize there's only so long that those levels, at the price levels can sustain to be below break-even levels. And it's just not, there's no other way of, for the market to move. What, real quick, Thomas, one of the things that you just touched on that we all know about because we all work for mills, you know, Greg's got sales agreements with sawmills. I work for Hampton. We own 10 sawmills. You've got your fifth largest producer in the world with your sawmills. 
and we've talked about this for two years now, the cost of making lumber doesn't go down. It hasn't gone down in two years. It's gone up a lot. It costs more to transport it. It costs more to hire people. It costs more to train people. It costs more to retain those people. You know, the benefits packages and the hourly, hourly wages you're paying your production workers now are much higher than they were four years ago. Everything costs more to make, including the raw material. So this idea that we have to stay at $400 for the rest of our careers for a commodity, it's just a crock of crap. I mean, it's just not even, it's not even founded in reality. It's wishful yeah. thinking is what it Fantasy. is. Fantasy. Yeah. Yep. Mary Day Tompash. Yes. Uh, well, I appreciate that, Thomas. We were going to jump into the segment that we do every week, Mary Date or Dump, where we talk about the, the item or items that we are in love with, the ones that we're just infatuated with, and the ones that we've fallen out of favor with. And we're looking forward to hearing what yours are going to be. Well, Greg, okay, Greg, so you want me to participate? Okay, Greg, good. you need to, and I'll get. We'll go. Thomas, go last. So we can think about this. But yeah. Greg, you got you got to defend your your position this week. I mean, uh, you know, last week I remember you wanted to marry two by four nines. We tied the uh, the strings and the cans to the car leaving the church, and uh, <laughs> and I mean, I. I kind of saw it on the side of the road a little bit ago. You were working on it. Is it still, is it, are we still good there? Where are you at on this whole thing? Well, and I had this conversation with someone today about basis trading. I mean, two by four, nine foot studs are a great basis trade. One of the things sometimes about basis trades is, you know, they're great and then they get even better and then they get even better. And I'm going to stay hooked to two by four, nine foot studs. But I will say that it's that the relationship is getting off to a very rocky start. I think this is going to be a, this is going to be a slow burn on this relationship to get it, to get it going. And yeah, I guess my big question mark is the thing that's going to really drive two by four, nine foot is going to be a uptick in multifamily jobs, covering multifamily jobs. And until we get that, uh, I think we're, we're, we're going to be laying on the side. I still, um, you know, I still, am, I'm still dating two by four 16s, great liquidity. You know, I, I will say that their relative strength has fallen. And I mean, the thing I'd like to date is two by six 16s, sub 500 FOB, the ports, but that's getting hard. That babe is getting hard to find. I'm still not dumping anything here. I'm bye, 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 bye. You know, I like the market. We're in seasonal strength. Lumber is undervalued. It's going to move higher between now and, and second quarter. Is it sooner or later? I don't know, but it's going to happen. Matt? Um, you remember uh, well, a couple, three weeks ago, I just said I, I wanted to marry just premium lumber in general. Yep. And uh, what Thomas just said is kind of a, added confirmation of that idea. But my idea was more based on time of year than, than the volume of European lumber that's not coming in. But either way, all of it is a good reason to stay interested in premium lumber. That being said, that's not my Mary this week. I'm going to marry two to 10 anything. Mills aren't making it, period. So when mills stop making it, you want to you go find some and sit on it for a little while. But I can't get quotes on two to 10. At least in the U.S., I mean, I'm sure if I trolled around in Canada, I probably could. But a lot of the Canadian spruce doesn't span as much as the hemp fir and the dug fir. So 
a guy in, you know, Missouri might not even want to quote on spruce. It's like spruce two by 10 is sort of a niche. Um, and then as far as dating goes, I'm, uh, what did I, what did I say for dating this week? I think two before 16s is kind of a date thing. You know, I mean, they're, they're relatively strong. 18s and 20s are also relatively strong, but they're carrying a large premium. So you have to be cognizant of that. And then as far as the, uh, the dump part of it, uh, I, I just dump an MSR. MSR is just such a big premium and it's just not going to last. It's already fading. There's mills that'll take 30 and $40 off to get an order on some, some 1650 or 2100 right now. I'm not really interested in that at the moment. Yeah, the buy on that is when you're buying it at two and better prices, right, Matt? As we all know, close your eyes and buy a lot. Yeah, so uh, I agree with you on the MSR. I'm between the dump and wanting to date phase, trying to bid on some of it at the two and better prices. But I think I'm the only one showing up at the grade school dance for that right now. There's no no willing no willing players to do that. Uh, although I did see 16s start to loosen up a little bit. You know, married two by four 16s. I mean, they are volatile, and I really like that. So I'm going to uh I'm gonna keep dating two by four sixteens. Those swing like all over when you want to move something, then somebody comes in and and pays a higher price for one for one or two of them. And as far as being married, I don't trade pine, but if I was gonna marry something, it'd probably be the wides and, and pine. Just because when I look at them, especially the higher grades, and what Matt, you just talked about, once we have treater step in or anything, those premiums. I'm guessing, and this is just my own guess, I could be wrong, could jump $100, as Thomas says, in a day when somebody wants to buy a whole bunch of 2 by 10 And we've shipped it all the way up into, like I said, uh, way up into the upper Midwest because some other astute people are starting to see that that trade happen. So those are kind of the ones that uh, that we're, we're looking for. So Thomas, how about, this is your first time in, so we're not going to hold you to anything, but we want to get your feedback. What do you think? You know, I normally know this game from uh, Watch What Happens Live and yeah. uh, on Bravo, you know, so um, <laughs> but actually get to... That's where, that's where we got it from. My wife was listening yeah. to Bravo and he, I'm he like, I got to must be married. He must have daughters. Yeah, absolutely. I actually like it, you know, that's the funny thing. Yeah, I admit Never it. Never admit that publicly, Thomas. No, no, no. No, I think, I, I think, I think all of what you say makes a lot of sense to me. You know, we, we, I'd say the two by four sixteens is the big question to me when you look at last year's performance. You know, it kind of peaked early in the in the in the season, and then it kind of went down from where it was. And I do think that when you look, take the Europeans as example, you know, what are they going to make when they see one one product being very high priced and other ones they don't? You know, so they'll be making more of that item. So I think two by four sixteens is maybe a date because the great part is that you use a lot of them. So that's the that's the other side of it, right? But I do think as we go in the in the next couple of months, I think the studs is what I want to marry, because as much as you think that the studs out there, seasonal demand always wins on that one. So, and like you said, I think two by ten sixteens are going to be uh, disappearing you know, very very quickly uh, off the market and off the place. Two by twelve sixteens already have an unspruce. So that's, of course, now a very strong item. And, yeah, that, that's uh, one of the challenges that, that you have, you know, like you said, with the European is it's like, hey, you see an item that's, you know, a good return. But if it doesn't have the market liquidity, you, you, can, you can kill the market by $200, market. right? 
yeah, that was always the that was always the challenge in Europe since since Europe came came into the market. What do I, what would I want to dump? You know, um, anything that I still got in the port that's a little bit older. You know, that's the dump. <laughs> you know, so if you want if you want a good if you want a good deal, you're not afraid to go through the pack. You know, call the office. So, Old weathered lumber, dump it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so how how do people get a hold of you, Thomas? Just so when they're listening to there, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, so uh, you know my email Thomas with a T H dot M E N D E at binderholz.com. B I N D R H O L Z dot com. And I'll I'll take you to the right person. Great, great. Well, hey, we really appreciate you coming on, Thomas. It's as always, like I know I learned a lot listening to this today. I'm feeling a little bit better about things, Greg and Matt. Yeah, and Thomas, it's great, great to have you. I hope you, I hope you enjoy, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I mean, we do, we've been doing this because we have a fun time doing it, and and you know, we feel like we gain some value by having the interaction. And I hope you enjoyed it too, so that we can have you back some other time. I mean, I'm really fascinated to talk more about the, you know, the the CLT and uh, you know the, right. some of that business. I think that's absolutely. I mean, you know, we didn't even talk about. Uh, Big timber, mass timber, right? We didn't talk about that, but any any time. So be happy thank to you. come back anytime. I enjoyed thanks, it. Guys. All right, everybody. Thank, yeah. Thanks, Thomas, and everybody. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lumber Word. We'll look forward to seeing you next week, and uh, hope you have a great time trading some lumber. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Lumber Word. The Lumber Word podcast is dedicated to engaging conversations about the lumber industry including trading ideas, market trends, and evaluations of overvalued and undervalued assets. We wish to emphasize that the discussions and opinions expressed in this podcast are purely for informational and entertainment purposes. They should not be considered as financial or investment advice. We encourage our listeners to make their own financial decisions, taking into account their unique circumstances and financial goals, and to seek professional financial advice if necessary. 